Hey, hey, welcome to Horns Up. I'm Animesh. And I'm Peter. Even though this band comes up in each and every episode, here is another episode that's fully devoted to the band. Have you guys guessed it yet? No, it's not Metallica. It is Iron Maiden. Up the fucking irons. Yeah. What are we doing today? We're doing a versus. It's a four album versus. And we're doing this basically to celebrate the 40th birthday of what is perhaps considered to be Iron Maiden's most popular album ever, which is The Number of the Beast, which was born in March 1982. And yes, this year it turned 40. Um, Yes, it's a versus. That means we are pitting it against other Iron Maiden albums. Uh, And because it's a versus, it has to be the same track length. So we've cheated a little bit. We're going with the original pressing, eight songs from Number of the Beast, That's going to be pitted against eight songs on Power Slave, eight songs on Somewhere in Time, eight songs from Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. And because it's a versus, the two of us can't do it alone. So we brought along two other, I think, Maiden fanboys. Am I okay in calling you guys that? Riju, Ravi, Maiden fanboys? Is that a Yeah. Yeah. Although I convinced Ravi once uh, when he was at a music festival to not watch Iron Maiden and watch King Diamond instead. Do you remember that, Ravi? <laughs> I was going to do that anyway uh, because, you know, Kevin's <laughs> first comeback. But yeah, it gutted me. I mean, Maiden was just getting all the really fancy, uh, you know, stage decor up. And I was like, oh, okay, it's time I go in and queue for. Uh, King Diamond. And by the time I got there, the queue was already, you know, one row deep. So I managed to see that performance from the second row. Fucking awesome. That comparison, King Diamond versus Iron Maiden, I think that's com- that's also something that we'll be lining up uh, in some time to come because another album, Abigail, turns uh, 35 this year. Hmm. Okay, we'll see what we'll do with that. But as stated, it's Iron Maiden time. It's versus the number of the beast against Power Slave against Somewhere in Time against Seven Son of a Seven Son. You guys know the rules already, but in case uh, you need a refresher, well, we are pitting each song against the other from each album in the order of their appearance. We'll also talk about artwork. We'll also talk about overall album feel and eventually try and see if we can arrive at an objective kind of a way of trying to figure out if which album is the better album or which album is the best album amongst these. So without further ado, let's get started. Tracks number one, it's Invaders from The Number of the Beast against Power Slave from Aces High against Caught Somewhere in Time from Somewhere in Time and against Moonchild from Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Peter, start this one off. So I know there's going to be a lot of discussion around this, especially considering Maiden's opening tracks. But my pick is Moonchild. Ravi, which one is yours? Invaders. Interesting. Why Invaders? I think Invaders is amazing. It's essentially, uh, I mean, I didn't hear the albums in sequence, obviously, because, you know, in India, you just heard whatever you got. But once I actually kind of established the sequence, uh, if you heard Invaders after hearing Paul Diano on the last couple of albums, you immediately realize that here was essentially a force that was going to take this band to an entirely different uh, level. So the change was completely stratospheric. And yeah, so Invaders wins. Much as I like all of the other tracks, if I was to pick a track that I want to hear, uh, it'd be Invaders. Uh, mainly because Aces High is a little overplayed. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Somewhere in Time is a really, really good song. Not particularly overplayed either. Uh, Moonchild versus Invaders is the real tough fight here. But, you know, Invaders wins. Mm. That's actually a logical reasoning. Did you? Which one did you go? I have been accused of being like a supporter of hit songs in like, <laughs> so I will go with the Aces High. This is a very, I think this is the toughest round of them all, right? Like, I, okay. I think the opening track one is going to be the toughest of them all. Uh, Aces High, although all four of them are insane songs. So, Animesh, what do you think? Hmm. Okay. 
Well, uh, I've never enjoyed Aces High a lot. So it's not Aces High. I find it to be very annoying. I think it's also because I've heard it being covered a lot of times and being absolutely butchered so many times. So, <laughs> so I don't have any affinity towards Aces High at all. Um, I get Ravi's logic, right? If you were to listen to this band in sequence, etc., and the order in sequence, then definitely Invaders is like a fresh shot of adrenaline pumped into your system and it'll revive a dead body almost, right? Um, but to me, Invaders is one of the more annoying songs on Number of the Beast, mainly because of the, the chorus. Yeah. For those people who have heard our previous verses on Iron Maiden, which we'd done with Nolan, in which we'd actually pitted Power Slave against Seven Son of a Seven Son, in case you haven't, that's episode number 15. So go back and listen to it because that'll essentially tell you my pick, which I'm continuing with. And it'll also tell you the amount of love that I have for Moonchild. It's the only song on like amongst these four songs that's not a Steve Harris song. It's credited to Adrian Smith and Bruce Dickinson. Having gotten to see Moonchild played live is one of my life's accomplishments when it comes to Iron Maiden. Uh, love that song. It does everything that you would want in an opening song. It sets up an album beautifully. It, it does so much. And I think the second position from these four, I would have given to Caught Somewhere in Time because that's such a fabulous song too. Uh, it has a perfect Moonchild-like opening as well, but that's the thing, right? I'm still comparing it to Moonchild itself. So... For me, I'm giving it to Moonchild. So, Peter, team's horn, team horns up. <laughs> I can't believe we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Our cycles are syncing up, eh? <laughs> this is what happens, right? And like a lot of people say that, you know what, when you spend a lot of time, I would say like when you do a lot of podcast episodes together, your tastes <laughs> end up syncing. <laughs> Alrighty, cool. So first round, unfortunately, Summer in Time hasn't been able to open its innings yet, but uh, points across the board for all the other albums. Um, let's move on to songs number two. This to me looks like a good contest because you have Children of the Damned from Number of the Beast against Two Minutes to Midnight from Power Slave against Wasted Years from Somewhere in Time against Infinite Dreams from Seven Son of a Seventh Son. Riju. I would have to go with Children of the Damned. Um, so this is pretty much the ballad kind of round, right? Like this is where uh, Bruce really gets to show off his singing chops. If you discount the Samson years, maybe when he didn't get to do, the, do the, these kind of vocals, this was the first time people got to see that he's very different from Paul Leano. Like if you consider a song like uh, Children of the Damned. And uh, yeah, I mean, going by Peter's logic, I mean, uh, I have seen Wasted Years get butchered a lot more than I've seen uh, Aces I get butchered by Indian bands. So <laughs> I would uh, have to give the nod to Children of the Dam. Infinite Dreams, for some reason, I don't like the song. Uh, I don't know what it is, but there is, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I made I a probably... face. That's why I did you pause for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I... I don't know, man. And what was the fourth song? Um, two Minutes to Midnight? Oh, I quite like Two Minutes to Midnight. But uh, Children of the Damned, I think, is like, a, yeah, better. Maybe Ravi next? Oh, yeah. I go with Children of the Damned, too. Uh, I think uh, it's an absolutely amazing song. It supposedly rips off this Jimi Hendrix song called 1983, A Merman I Should Turn to Be. Uh, and if you hear it, this... Uh, sufficient evidence to support that claim. They both are structured quite, uh, you know, similarly. But I think it's lyrically one of Anne Maiden's most incredibly violent songs uh, to the point where I think in one of the reissues, they dropped that entire passage where he talks about, uh, you know, uh, his flesh falling away and melting away and things like that. Uh, uh, Wasted Years, I absolutely cannot stand. I mean, I skip it even on the uh, actual album. If you ask me, Wasted Years is the most butt-rocky song Iron Maiden ever did. <laughs> Think about it. Wasted Years is Iron Maiden's Wanted Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi and uh, Scorpions Always Somewhere. But since it's Iron Maiden, it's slightly more literary, etc., etc. But it's actually uh, quite a silly song. 
Infinite Dreams was ruined for me by Papa Roach. The moment now I can't unhear Last Resort in Infinite Dreams. So, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I knew that. Between Two Minutes to Midnight and uh, Children of the Damned and Children of the Damned Winds. Okay. Right. You want to go, Aramesh? Alrighty. Sure. I will. Um, yeah. Infinite Dreams is a fantastic fucking song. Like it's, it's one of my favorite songs from that entire album, maybe from Iron Maiden ever. And that's because of just how much of a punch it packs in all departments. It's brilliant. Yeah. Wasted Years. I like the song. I, I, I don't share the sa- same sentiments as Ravi does about it, but uh, yeah, I think that would be my number two. Um, so between Children of the Damned and Two Minutes to Midnight, it's fairly evident, actually. I am going with Children of the Damned. It is by far, I think, the song that changed the tides for Iron Maiden. Uh, previously, you've I don't think there's been a song like this on uh, Iron Maiden or on Killers. This opened up a completely new territory for the band. I think this is by far the strongest, one of the strongest songs they've ever done. Two Minutes to Midnight, uh, again, weirdly enough, I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, the only thing that's stuck in my head with two minutes to midnight now is on the videos when they showed the, I think on flight 666, when they showed the crew and what they do with the song with the, have you guys seen that? Do you guys remember it? So when the chorus comes on, everybody, everybody basically does two minutes to midnight. (laughs) Oh my God. The entire hard rock for me. (laughs) Yeah. To me, that also represents how much of like an overplayed hit it is. So it's kind of become like a visual meme of sorts, the song itself. So, sorry, um, I'll go back on my word and uh, not put Wasted Years as the number two. Number two for me is Infinite Dreams. Number three is Wasted Years. Number four is Two Minutes to Midnight. Number one from this pick, from this lot is Children of the Damned, definitely. So yeah, Peter, will it be a clean sweep? No, unfortunately. <laughs> Holy shit. Which one are you so, picking? So so for me, right, the, the two tracks, and despite everything you'll say about Wasted Years, uh, I personally like it. And I think it has to do a lot with like watching it live. And uh, I have to tell this story. So the second time I made it played in Dubai, they played the song live. And I had a friend of mine right next to me. And while they were playing the song, this guy just like started crying and weeping and weeping and no one could figure out what happened. Right. And it just kind of, I feel that's the kind of thing, especially with a band like Maiden uh, in there, it just kind of gets that emotions out of you and it kind of connects with you. Uh, that That's one of the things. And like, personally, I go back to that song a lot, whatever you want to say about it. But uh, for me, the reason why that second is because for me, two minutes to midnight, I haven't, I don't remember the flight 666 uh, thing, but I don't know, man. For me, like, Slave, I've said is personally for me, one of the favorite uh, albums. I'm wearing a Slave t-shirt right now, but uh, Two Minutes to Midnight, I, I just love that track and I can listen to it anytime, like on random. So that's the pick for me. Wow. wow. I'm in minority, I know. <laughs> Wow, who would have expected that? No, actually, yeah, that makes sense because Peter's love for Power Slave is very well documented on the show. <laughs> hmm. Okay, so, so far, Somewhere in Time still hasn't got any votes. Um, let's see if that changes in tracks number three, where we have The Prisoner from The Number of the Beast against Lost for Words of Big Aura from Power Slave against Sea of Madness from Somewhere in Time against Can I Play With Madness from Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Ravi, start this one off. Absolutely no contest. Can I play with that? This wins. It's one of Iron Maiden's best songs. It's such a dramatic vocal performance. The video was extraordinary. I wonder if you've seen it, the one where the schoolmaster falls down a cavern and is menaced by an animated Eddie. It was absolutely brilliant start to end. Uh, I think that's the perfect Iron Maiden song. It was also, I think, the first... Dickinson eras. Actually, I think it was the first Iron Maiden song I ever heard. So, yeah. yeah. Major love for Can I Play With Madness. Uh, Sea of Madness would probably be uh, at number two as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I think it's 
a really good song, a little underappreciated, a uh, little, you know, bit of a hidden treasure. I didn't care much for that instrumental. I just thought it kind of got in the way of uh, much better songs. Uh, and uh, on Number of the Beast, you have Prisoner, which is a very, very good song, but, you know, the chorus is a little uh, silly. I think it's kind of let down by how cheerful the chorus sounds compared to the rather grim subject matter of the rest of the song. Uh, Riju? Uh, I, I would have to agree, I mean, with everything you said, including it being the first Iron Maiden song I heard. Like, uh, yeah, I am assuming I discovered Iron Maiden a lot, many years after Ravi did. But uh, I mean, that video used to get a lot of airplay uh, at... Uh, uh, I, mean, I mean, during 99 and 2000 and stuff like that. Yeah, it was that. And then I heard Future Real. And I was like, how did this band go from so good to so bad? <laughs> 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 then I read about yeah, the two different vocalists and everything else. But yeah, pretty much that. Uh, the instrumental gets the bottom spot by far. The other two songs are pretty cool. I mean, the instrumental is still better than all those Vanover instrumentals, right? Where like oh, Joey Mayo does, does those <laughs> bass runs for five minutes with like, with go nowhere at all. But yeah, mm. pretty much that. Peter, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's nothing much to add uh, to what both of you said. I mean, can I play with Madness? I, I kind of remember that moment, Riju, because we probably were watching TV at the same time. And I think it was around the time that, uh, what's the album they released in 2000? Fuck. A Brave New World. Brave New World. So at that time, you'd have like a lot of promotions. And I think it talks about how influential like television was uh, at that time for us to discover music, right? It was our LimeWire and all of that. And when you watch a video like that, it never leaves your mind, right? You're constantly like wondering what the fuck are those guys <laughs> like talking about? And just the entire vocals also, because I mean, around that same time I heard, I think, Can I Play With Madness? I was listening to a lot of like pop and boy band music, right? So you never realize that this is the kind of stuff that can be done also. And uh, so many years later, I'm still talking about it and raving about it. There's a reason. So yeah, Can I Play With Madness? I think easily one of the favorite I made in tracks. I would just like to add one point. I mean, exactly what Peter said, right? Like, uh, I had discovered bands like White Snake and stuff at that point. And when you follow a fool for your loving with Iron Maiden, you're like, okay, I like this, but this is so much better. I mean, that I remember it being that moment for me. Um, I think we have a very first clean sweep because I am in complete agreement with what everybody is talking about. Can I play with Madness? for these in this lot as such is the best song. The only interesting factoid that I can add over here uh, is the fact that the song is credited to Steve Harris, Bruce Dickinson and Adrian Smith, bringing the holy trinity of maiden songwriters together for the, I think for the second time ever, because on Peace of Mind, they had what, Die With Your Boots On as like an equal credit for all three. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but, but but whatever. Like, I'm not saying that the three of them coming together will always result in such fabulous songwriting. But uh, with this one, it definitely makes a huge, huge, huge case for that. The other songs, Lost for Words, is by far, I think, like to me, it's the weakest Maiden instrumental. Sea of Madness kind of gets lost out. I'm expecting it to be an instrumental with the amount of time it takes for the vocals to kick in. But uh, then it just doesn't do anything much. The Prisoner, I absolutely agree with Ravi. It, it, the, the body of the song and the way it starts, etc. It just doesn't match up to the chorus. And unfortunately, it's the chorus that gets stuck in your head, which makes you think of this as a happy song. But it, whatever. Great song, but eh, not good enough when compared to Can I Play With Madness. So there you have it. That's our first clean sweep. Uh, seven Son of a Seven Song doing well so far. Somewhere in time, still waiting to open its innings. Let's see if that changes on track number four, where you have 22 Acacia Avenue from The Number of the Beast versus Flash of the Blade from Power Slave versus Heaven Can Wait from Somewhere in Time versus The Evil That Men Do from Seven Son of a Seven Son. And I'm going to start this off and I'm going to say The Evil That Men Do is by far one of my favorite Maiden tracks ever, if not my most favorite track from Maiden ever. It's the one that completely sold me on the band and it's the one that I can keep listening to no matter how many times you play it. I'm still pissed that I haven't gotten to see it live 
but hopefully that day will come peter yeah man i mean it, it's kind of weird right because i think the evil that men do is such a good song and why don't they play it live like can we start a petition or something that the next time they play because they are playing they're supposed to play in dubai so let's just all start Ooh. a petition that you have to play uh, this track but yeah man the evil that men do i mean as much as i love uh, power slave and the reason i should add because it's been 150 odd episodes is parsley was actually the first i made an album i heard start to finish right and i kept listening to it because it was a burnt cd that my friend gave me so i kept listening it to it back and forth back and forth so you end up liking the instrumentals and the moment you start listening to the other songs you're like wait they do this also so yeah i mean like hearing a track like the evil that men do like fuck man uh, definitely my pick ravi you want to go next Oh yeah, uh here I'm actually going to be a little annoyingly contrarian. I pick Heaven Can Wait. I think it's one of Anne Maiden's uh, most underrated tracks. When I heard the version, I think on a real live one, I had goosebumps because you have Dickinson going Heaven Can and the entire crowd sings Wait. Yeah. If you ask me the kind of dynamic build up you have in that song is something that Anne Maiden have been trying have been swinging for and missing in all their subsequent uh, post reunion albums you know the starting off with something that's a little slow building up the song getting into its stride absolutely fantastic song i actually don't like uh, evil that men do all that much the entire Ooh. uh Razor's Edge dancing on a ledge but gets repeated too many times for my comfort i think it's a little uh, annoying uh, so that loses out uh, the i think the main contest here was uh, between uh, flash of the blade which is a great song and uh, heaven can wait but i like heaven can wait better i think lyrically it's an amazing concept it's kind of like the i think it's kind of like the carpet crawlers by uh, genesis which is of course a huge influence on Steve Harris in terms of its entire vision of the afterlife and uh what it's like uh 22 acacia avenue well you know it's a good song it's kind of like a more uh, politically correct sequel to charlotte the harlot uh i like it but you know i'm not crazy about it did you which where are you going to go i i would have to echo and I me mean, the team team horns up which we are doing that <laughs> i mean uh, again like one of the first songs i discovered i remember going to a cyber cafe and this was pre youtube i don't know what i was streaming there but it took me 45 minutes to load the song and listen to that one song and go home like and i spent a good amount of money just to do that uh so yeah i mean that's a special song to me uh, however the live performance is that the one where um uh, bruce has the cold and stuff like is uh, a real life Which live performance are you talking about the one, the one at donington i'm not sure if uh, he had a cold on that but you know i mean i have absolutely no background information on it i got it on i got the album on tape i got it on cd and all i remember is Dickinson going heaven can and the entire crowd singing wait which is a great moment that didn't yeah, happen so- in donington definitely i think that happened in uh, i think rock in rio no 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 this is this is from a real live one so you know it's definitely not rock in rio uh, let me just see if i can dig something up on a real live one i i remember this live performance and yeah i mean that was pretty kickass uh, again like i'm not a historian like you guys yeah i have a soft corner for the evil that men for what it's worth i'm not saying that uh, 22 or flash of the blade or heaven can wait are bad songs heaven can wait is definitely my number 2 choice but it pales in comparison to the magical energy of the evil that men do absolutely yeah, so- Uh, I've just checked, and this was recorded in uh, Italy uh, at Monsters of Rock. Uh, ah. That version of Heaven Can Wait, uh, because you know a real live one was, I think, recorded all over Europe. Because uh, I think before uh, uh, Wasting Love, there's this long introduction in French and things like that. So yeah, Fuck Wasting Love, that's a good song. 
but unfortunately we are not talking about it ha huh. <laughs> moving on to uh, what wait one second i have to note here congratulations somewhere in time you've officially opened your innings <laughs> <I know. laughs> thank you <laughs> okay cool uh, moving on to tracks number 5 side b officially as such from number of the beast title track the number of the beast versus the duelists from power slave versus the loneliness of the long distance runner from somewhere in time versus seventh son of a seventh son from seventh oh, son of a seventh shit. son is a tough one huh <laughs> is it a tough one is it a tough one not to me yeah yeah okay okay cool all right peter start this one off so so for me it's like you have both the title tracks right like it's stuff between two of them number of the beast and uh, seventh son of the seventh son and i think i heard seventh son of the seventh son soon after uh, power slave right so like i've heard that a lot more and just the entire like dramatics of the album and the track itself right but then once you hear the number of the beast and the reason why that slightly edges it out uh seventh son of the seventh son for me is that i still fucking get the creeps when i hear uh, the number of the beast man like you just hear that song all these years later and uh, for me that's the slight edge that it it gives and just the way it, it is man i mean that that song is something i mean if i'm not mistaken that's the poster you have behind yeah sorry yeah yeah that is yeah so the, I, i'm i'm wondering which one animesh is going to pick so why don't you tell us animesh <laughs> hmm okay cool i'll go in uh, reverse ascending order so basically starting off from song number 4 which to me is the loneliness of the long distance runner followed by the duelists and now obviously it's the battle of the two heavyweights here uh, interestingly all four of these are steve harris songs okay so uh, at the moment and i think well not just at the moment but basically my tastes will lead me to pick seven son of a seven son over the number of the beast i think that's also because seven son of a seven son still has a lot more replay value and it's not as overexposed as the number of the beast is also because seven son of a seven son is a slightly easier song to play along with than number of the beast is <laughs> that's because of the weird time signature thing on number of the beast but but yeah for me seven son of a seven son is just so much more dramatic it's so much more engaging there's there's so much going on over there it's so much more unpredictable because of that too yeah it wins it wins this lot uh ravi what about you oh uh, number of the beast for sure uh i remember uh, i had essentially i was uh, away at a cousin's place and a friend of mine who kind of knew i was getting into heavy metal had somehow managed to scrape up a, a thompson original tape you remember the famous yeah, yeah, yeah. pirate thompson yes. original yeah uh, so he got a thompson original tape of uh, number of the beast and uh, i kind of came back home and i found this tape waiting for me and i started playing uh, number of the beast and at that precise moment he had the first uh, shower of that monsoon so there was lots of thunder lightning i'm never able to parse my memories of that song away from that particular moment and it was just the most diabolical intense amazing strangely uplifting thing i'd ever heard so yeah irrespective of how many times i hear uh number of the beast i still love it and uh, you know it's a very very tough call between number of the beast and seven sun because both of them are extraordinary songs but I got to go with the uh, number of the beast. I also love the uh, video which is extremely campy and hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, fantastic video, absolutely brilliant song and probably, you know, the sort of song that you'd play to introduce somebody to Iron Maiden. Hmm, that's interesting. that can that can be a separate podcast episode altogether i know <laughs> like like we make our own best of the beast yeah <laughs> holy shit wow ha huh. no wait riju yeah i i mean number of the beast by far i don't like Ooh. any of the other songs okay like uh, i i would say oh, really? that I, i think yeah i get crucified by the three of you i don't like seven son of a seven son because uh, there's a lot of fat to be trimmed in that song in my opinion That's actually um, the reason why I like that song. 
the kind of uh, okay so what he does it's on good the fat it's the fat that gives flavor it's like bacon fat huh? <laughs> you can fry other shit in it <laughs> so I, so, yeah, that's not my uh, scene really uh, what are the other songs I, I was telling the three of you guys I think uh, of the air that uh, uh, loneliness right I think loneliness was the template for everything bad that has happened since they viewed <laughs> like uh, the law <laughs> as like uh, yeah I, I don't know how to put this like all, all those overextended Into, songs that yeah, don't yeah. need to be that long uh, loneliness is that to me and what was the other song uh, the, the duelists duelist. duelist is fine like inoffensive uh, yeah pretty much like yeah see i think uh, if uh, the duelists had been going up against i don't know maybe song number 3 it would have been a really strong contender because it's a fantastic song the chorus always gets you going uh, loneliness is frankly pretty much like reju pointed out uh, the start of the bloat well and truly set settling yep. in grand maiden and you know uh it uh interestingly enough uh, one of the lines in it is it's also futile uh, which is kind of how i feel about that song uh so yeah <laughs> bad joke over here but loneliness of the long distance runner i'm assuming is it fair to think that steve harris was just running and he couldn't find a place to stop so he had to like continue writing the same song <laughs> and extending its duration so that he could match up to wherever he was going yeah. eh, whatever but do you also think that uh, number 5 is steve harris's uh, lucky number and that makes sure that he writes the fifth song in every album that's that's interesting i'll have to do a little bit of a deep dive and try and see if every other song of every other album fifth song is also a steve harris song or not that's some little bit more homework but we'll arrive at that answer maybe in the next episode or if i remember to do it earlier or whatever cool so the number of the beast as a song is what we are going with in this round let's move on to track number 6 which could be a weird weird one like i'm 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 actually expecting this to be a weird one because you have run to the hills from the number of the beast against back in the village from power slave against stranger in a strange land from somewhere in time against the prophecy from seventh son of a seventh son and i'm going to start this one off i'm voting back in the village oh yeah uh, ravi just mounted the what no i mean i was uh, probably going to vote for back in the village too but please continue <laughs> probably going to me vote matlab what you're hearing each one of us out and then deciding no it's a tough choice because uh, back in the village is up against run to the hills which is a bonafide great song although you know a little lower exposed uh <laughs> in the strange land is completely kicked to the curb you know uh, it's a pretty boring song i don't like it at all uh, i think the only good part, good thing about it is it's better than the song that comes after it Uh, which is deja vu which i think is a weak song <laughs> classic made in discography but yeah we'll come to that later uh but uh, you know i mean i uh really like uh, run to the hills and i really like the prophecy i think it has uh, you know some of the best lyrics and uh the transitions and the tempo changes uh have a kind of seamlessness to them which isn't always present I really like that song but you know what I'm going to go with back in the village it's just extremely visceral and it's a smack to the face kind of song absolutely incredible yeah visceral and slap to the face definitely back in the village oh my god what a powerful punch it ekes out over run to the hills because run to the hills is by far the most overexposed maiden song ever i think um i mean yeah if i think run to the hills is maiden's enter sandman Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Right? Yeah, pretty much. It's either Run to the Hills or The Trooper, but I think it is Run to the Hills. So yeah, and plus it's just been parodied about so much etc etc. It just holds a lot of weight. I can I can live without not listening to it again, but back in the village, oh my god, it's it's so refreshing. It's the most unmaiden maiden song I think ever. I keep trying to imagine what would maiden be like if it only tried to go in this range, if in in this kind of songwriting style, in this kind of riffage etc. Yeah, back in the village for me. Rijo, what about you? 
I would have to go with the prophecy. Uh, I I mean, the minutes before we came on, I shared back in the village, I think, and I said that if I ever went to a studio and approached, uh, uh, say, an Ashwin Shriyan or somebody with the kind of baseline that there is in back in uh, back in the village, they would say something like, "You should play for the song. You shouldn't show off this much and stuff like that," uh, <laughs> which I think is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, a complaint that I have with uh, Steve Harris during this era, uh, like the Seventh Son Bloat, this song is like him playing all over the place and like uh, just trying to be the angry Malmsteen of bass uh, at this point in time. Um, but the prophecy is different. The prophecy is so different from every other major song out there. <laughs> it follows a song that I dislike. So yeah, that gets my vote. Okay. Peter, round this one off. Listen, I'm I'm gonna like disclaim it by saying at this point I'm gonna do a review and go for the pop uh, and the popular song, which is uh, "Run to the Hills," and I'll tell you why. Because before I actually heard the Maiden version of "Run to the Hills," and while it's my complaint that you know so many bands have covered X song and ruined it for me. There was a band in Abu Dhabi who was, I think it was like a high school battle of the bands. And they did a note for note, perfect cover of Run to the Hills. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, this is a maiden song and they're covering it. And I think I was probably like 18. So I don't think the band members were older than me. So about 16, 17. And at 16, 17 to play a note for note cover of uh, Run to the Hills. So whenever I listen to Run to the Hills, uh, Live also, I always have that memory of watching this band back in the day. And even while we were prepping for this, I was listening to it and I was like, yeah, I wonder what those guys are up to. So yeah, Run to the Hills is actually my pick from this lot. Fantastic. We are down to the last two tracks as such. Now up next is tracks number seven. Songs number seven, we have Gangland from The Number of the Beast versus Power Slave from Power Slave versus Deja Vu from Somewhere in Time versus The Clairvoyant from Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Ravi, oh. it's not Deja Vu, right? You're not picking Deja Vu. <laughs> Deja Vu is dead to me. Um, uh, probably uh, Power Slave, uh, you know, it's one of the most dynamic, incredible, genuinely spooky uh Iron Maiden songs ever recorded and you know uh, the kind of vocal transitions that Dickinson goes through in that song that's I for my money that's probably his single greatest uh, performance uh, you know uh, the entire vocal switch between the bring me the blood part and the kind of uh, you know plaintive horror of the chorus absolutely incredible uh, again, I mean, I really like Gangland a lot. Uh, I really also like, uh, oh, what's the other song? Prophecy. The Clairvoyant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that song is just amazing. I mean, the entire chorus is just so, uh, you know, glorious. But yeah, uh, I think uh, Power Slave wins because it's probably, uh, you know, one of the single greatest songs I made in a uh, ever recorded and oh my god I mean I can't stop gushing about that song I also honestly think that anyone who tells you to play to the song is like an asshole and you should never play to the song <laughs> always play whatever the fuck you feel like playing uh, so yeah I just wanted to get that out of the way <laughs> good one Ravi come on who wants to go next because my answer is pretty obvious so did you come on I would have to say the clairvoyant. I mean, I uh, to me that's my favorite Iron Maiden song. Probably a kind of a power metalish kind of feel to it, which is the kind of music that I genuinely like, and uh, uh, that is acceptable bass playing from Steve Harris. The the intro, <laughs> <that> he, <laughs> I don't, I don't even know why I'm phrasing it like that. But uh, I I love everything about the song. Everything comes together, and. Um, yeah, I think that was the last great Iron Maiden song before things went downhill, right? Like, Ooh. Okay. <laughs> uh, but but obviously, Power Slave is right up there. I mean, Power Slave is everything that Ravi said it is. Okay, uh, before before Peter rounds us off, because I think we all know his answer. Here is another vote coming to you for Power Slave 
for me it was a battle between power slave and the clairvoyant yeah. and power slave just manages to go ahead so both of these songs are basically storyteller maiden uh done absolutely brilliantly but because of the dynamics on power slave that's not there on the clairvoyant uh i mean if you were to present these songs to a maiden fanboy or even somebody who's just not a fan but maybe has heard a couple of maiden albums the clairvoyant is still the more average sounding maiden song whereas power slave has that x ingredient which makes it stand out like makes it truly outstanding um so yeah for me it is it is power slave and i'm guessing peter your vote is that too yeah so my two and one was clairvoyant and power slave power slave i mean like there's a reason why i fucking love that album right and i still listen to it uh, often and you know when they did that somewhere back in time uh, tour right which it dubai and bombay like watching them play uh power slave live the entire fucking uh production that they had done with it right it was just like for me it was like fuck even if i never see maiden again live this is it but now it's been like over 10 years right so i want to see maiden live again and hopefully play some of the stuff that we want them and at least some from the albums that we're talking about nothing post 2000 <laughs> nothing post 2000 i'm just saying yeah. come on mm. <laughs> well I if i had Sorry, go on, Peter. No, I said because come on, let's be honest. They're going to play at least one song of Senjutsu, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, that's a different podcast we've done. But uh, yeah, man, I mean, like watching Power Slave live was just amazing, and just at that point realizing that you know how Bruce pulls this live, right? Because when I watched it, I think what if I'm wrong, it was I was twenty. Yeah, it was twenty odd years after he first. like wrote it right and just that he could fucking manage to do it and while doing that running all across the stage and stuff fuck like memories that i'll never forget so yeah parsley for me ravi you you wanted to say something oh yeah i think uh, i mean one of the things i'd like to point out is how i made in india uh, completely annoying way actually cut off of the opening seconds of power slave in the reissue and that was such a complete catastrophe the part where the door creaks open and you hear the laugh uh, that was terrible i mean i don't know how a band with such a great catalog can be so disrespectful of it but it's at least better than uh, demustain going ahead and re-recording oh, bits yeah. and parts on his remasters yeah. right well uh, ozzy did the same thing didn't he <laughs> Ozzy did it with a with even more malicious intent, I think. Yeah, yeah. Made it all the more terrible. We should essentially have a pod on how terrible Ozzy is. Uh, you know, <laughs> Take away the fandom. Firing on uh, Sharon Osbourne's shoulder, but I'm sure he's just the worst as far as the heavy metal scene is concerned. I think uh, John Schaefer did that too, right? Like he re-recorded all of the old albums because. Uh, Yeah, and the record companies own that music, so he re- re-recorded everything so that he owns everything, and then he re-uploaded those tracks or something. Yeah. But now none of that matters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because no one's no one's <laughs> listening to it. <laughs> okay, come on. Oh I'm, well. I'm, the, uh. Now I'm waiting to see who what everyone's picks for the last track. Is. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah, these are songs that people are listening to still. definitely because it is hallowed be thy name from the number of the beast against rhyme of the ancient mariner from power slave against alexander the great from somewhere in time against only the good die young from seventh son of a seventh son peter start this one off i have to put this out there right is that it's very tough for me to listen to only the good die young and it's just because of the lyrics and the song and Yeah, man, it's 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 really hard, and I think as I've been growing older each year, it resonates so much more. And yeah, uh, but then you have "Hallowed Be Thy Name," which again, like we talked about, you know, "Run to the Hills" and the other Iron Maiden tracks is just like one of the most overplayed songs, right? Like everyone uh, has kind of at least tried playing it once, so when they're jamming together and all, I still like it. I still like going back to it, but I think nothing comes close to "Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner." I mean, the first time I heard it, I was just like, 
I, I still remember checking whether the guy had burnt the CD correctly for me. Like there was something wrong. And then I was like, okay, this is the way it's supposed to be waiting for it. And then once it kind of hits you, I, I think nothing can prepare you. Like if you're into metal before listening to that track for the first time, or you haven't been into metal, I think you're still going to be uh, in awe of it. And just the way that they're doing it. I mean, this is the kind of thing, right? Like you talked about the story telling part of Maiden, right? And that's what I really enjoy, right? And the reason why I earlier made the comment about like post 2000s uh, Maiden is now it's just become like, let's take that storytelling and expand it as much as possible, right? But uh, personally, I, I just love uh, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. I mean, what a fucking way to end the album, right? Uh, you want to like go back, like, and that's why I kept listening to that burn CD of Power Slave repeatedly, right? Because I just was like, wow, who are these, like, this band, what are the various things that they're doing on it? So, yeah, that's, I think, the last I'm going to talk about at least the songs on Power Slave. But yeah, my vote is Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Who wants to go next? Ravi, go for it. Oh, yeah, I'll go next. Uh, actually, uh, I mean, this one's. A real uh, toughie. Uh, only the good die young, I think, is the weakest of the songs, so it drops off fairly early on. And then you essentially have the clash between the Iron Maiden epics. I have an inkling as to what Rijo is going to pick up uh, due to the name of the <laughs> band that he was in and due to the fact that he actually had a, a tour called the Bird of Elomen tour, which um, you know, turned out to be a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, but I I'm actually going to go with uh, uh, Alexander the Great uh, purely because I think it gets too little love. It's an absolute belter of a track. And uh, I think uh, Hallowed Be Thy Name, it's fantastic. Unfortunately, it's been, you know, overplayed to almost saturation levels. And uh, I... Between the two of them, I prefer Alexander the Great. I think it's a more dynamic track and uh, it has a sort of joyous vibe to it. And, you know, I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, uh, Alexander the, the Great wins. Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner is absolutely brilliant. I feel the quiet section goes on a little too long. Uh, so, you know, uh, it's great the first few times you're listening to it. Uh, you know, but the 12th or the 13th or maybe the 100th time, you're like, oh, okay, when are they going to get done with this? So, yeah, Alexander the Great for me. Did you? Yeah, I mean, pretty much what Ravi said. Here's what I, I, I would say that except for only the good day, yeah, I like the other three songs pretty much equally. But because of the emotional connection to uh, Albatross and uh, Time of the Ancient Mariners, that has to get the nod. But I echo everything that Ravi said that, I mean, again, some of the fat could have been trimmed in the middle of the song and some of the creaking and the sound effects and everything. Like we know that you're on a ship, like you don't have to put in every single effect to like <laughs> shove the point home and stuff like that, right? So yeah, that is pretty much it. But Alexander the Great is an amazing song. Hallowed uh, Be Thy Name was the first time I realized because I was very wasted in the first time I uh, I was with the guys from Metakicks when I saw Maiden for the first time and yeah I mean as you can imagine I was completely yeah, out of my mind at that point so uh, by the time all the uh, booze wore off uh, Hallowed Vithini was playing and Zom was saying are ye Maiden hai ya Parikrama hai samaj mere yaar hai but uh, <laughs> that is where we were <laughs> Riju describing his wasted years. I was Zomb. Zomb was incredibly high. No, I mean, yeah, basically, yes, but. Come on, don't you remember? They had a song. Am I wasted? Am I high? Really? Meta Kicks. I don't remember the song. Yeah, even I don't remember that song. <laughs> yeah, probably the last chronicler of the songs of Metakits, Peter. Oh, yeah, but uh, I mean, coming back to the point, I mean, that was the first time I realized how good a vocalist uh, Bruce Dickinson is. 
because in the parts where no instruments were playing the kind of notes that he was hitting i was like wow i mean this guy is really something else and uh, because before that you are uh, i mean you hear nitin malik was incredible but he is incredible in like his uh, own style of music but then this guy comes and he's hitting insane pitches and carrying a tune at that pitch which is amazing so yeah i mean that one gets my vote uh, no ancient mariner gets my vote but i love everything uh, animesh to round off the Mm, okay yeah so i'm i'm largely with uh, riju and ravi on this one when it comes to the fact that only the good die young is just on a different level than the other three songs because the other three songs are on a much higher level than only the good die young is alexander the great is actually a really good song i think it's one of the most underrated maiden epics i think it's the most underrated maiden epic as such it doesn't oh, get the no, love I that it's due tamerland is the most underrated uh, but the tamerland isn't an epic it is an epic it's, it's not an epic it's yeah. not long <laughs> yeah but still okay so maiden epics for me are the one in which there's a lot of storytelling and everything and the tamerland if it like if it remained as dune i think it would have been a far better call uh anyways we can talk about that later um yes, to me to me the battle was between hallowed and rhyme i'm going with the inner fan in me hallowed be thy name is the one that gets my vote because that song to me is uh again one of my favorite maiden songs ever i always get joy of it i always like it's just so fantastic and it's the perfect like by the time maiden plays it live in concerts um or by the time you're listening to a maiden compilation if you and if you don't hear hallowed be thy name you'll be like dude this is like the cherry on the cake the sone the, the sone pe suhaga of maiden songs it just shows shows the band in its absolute full might because it has everything done right there isn't a misstep over here at all not to say that there isn't a misstep on rhyme of the ancient manator there's basically no misstep there either but hallowed is just far more punchier in that sense that's the only thin line as such between the two songs so for me it's hallowed be thy name who okay cool so we are done with the eight songs i'm not going to reveal the scores here or reveal what our thoughts are at the moment let's first talk about artwork because that's such a critical component to to what an iron maiden album is right uh, let's talk about the artwork you and i'm going to just roughly differentiate them by the kind of eddies that you see so you've got devil eddy from number of the beast versus mummy eddy from power slave versus time traveler eddy from somewhere in time versus the clairvoyant or the prophetist eddy from seven son of a seven son riju which among the four is the artwork that you like to gaze at far more the one behind you uh, i think very few artworks in uh... metal history beat the number of the beast artwork i think it's the gold standard of art and plus uh, i mean this is the lamest thing to see for a metal head but i like color i like uh, like one of my favorite uh, artworks of all time is the glorious burden by eister and because of the abundance of colors and everything that is used uh, so yeah number of the beast by a long time and uh, it's the coolest eddy in my ravi uh i'm going for uh, somewhere in time i mean uh, i love really busy artwork where you can just keep staring at it for hours on end and find some detail that you'd uh missed the last time around and i think somewhere in time uh, uh fits that brief so well it's just so rich in detail it's incredible also i think uh uh cyborg eddie was one of the best eddies in legacy of the beast uh, uh, uh he was a truly badass character uh but that besides just the uh, just the sheer amount of fan homage that went into uh you know the somewhere in time artwork you have icarus falling you have references to uh ray bradbury i mean it's it's so sumptuous i love that style of artwork and so Uh, that's my favorite among all of the uh, all of the uh, animated album covers yeah i'm going to go before animesh cuz i think animesh's option i mean 
Animesh's pick is pretty obvious. Yeah, Animesh has his, uh, you know, uh, preferences right on the wall behind him. So, <laughs> okay, I'm going to come in wall. and say, no, wait, wait one second. <laughs> I'm going to come in and say and just spell this out. I have a number of the Beast poster on my wall. Uh, and it's the one that everybody's been talking about so far. But it's not the one that I'm actually going to be choosing. Number of the Beast, the artwork is is by far the... Iron Maiden's most popular image, most popular artwork. And that's the reason why it's on the wall. However, I've never been able to find a Somewhere in Time poster in Bombay so far. And if I, that's the one that I really want to get up because I agree with Ravi is there's just so much going on and so much to see. And also just Cyborg Eddie or Time Traveler Eddie is just so cool. That's why it is my choice. Um, unfortunately, Number of the Beast even though it is by far one of the best images to introduce what heavy metal music means to anybody on living on this planet or maybe even living beyond this planet. I'll also comment about the others while I'm at it. I simply love Mummy Eddie too. I love the Power Slave artwork. I think oh, that yeah, one the has the most legs. Fantastic. Yeah, that one gave, gave Maiden so many legs to stand on, right? Uh, if it wasn't for that, there would be no live after that. If there wasn't for that, there probably might not even be a seventh son of a seventh son. Not sure. Um, clairvoyant, it kind of loses out because it's so bare or minimalistic. Yeah. But I think that's also because Derek Riggs absolutely lost his shit while designing uh, Somewhere in Time. And he's gone on record to say that it's by far the one that gave him the most amount of headaches. And so in the next one, he just decided to simplify it all up. But uh, yeah, between these four, Somewhere in Time the best artwork for me. Peter, what do you think? So I'm going to put it in order, the reverse order. For me, Seven Son of a Seven Son, like the first time I saw that, I was like, what happened, right? And now it actually makes sense when you say it. So I'm not a big fan of that one. Uh, Number of the Beast is spooky and scary, but like that's something that you kind of see. Partially, even though like I have the t-shirt, and stuff like that. I really like it because of my association with the album, but just purely artwork itself, fuck, somewhere in time is just like, you get lost. It's, just, it's like Ravi said, right? There's so much going on and there's so much that you can actually uh, think about. I wonder why they never continued. Like, do they do a lot more with it? I'm, I'm completely lost when it comes to that. The Cyborg Eddie. Well, they had the Cyborg Eddie on uh, the stage during the tour. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, I mean, I think while it was a lot of uh, fun for the fans and things like that, um, I think Animesh's story about you know, Derek Riggs being kind of driven up the wall by it uh, does seem quite understandable. And yeah, I always think that uh, uh, the uh, Dance of Death artwork is Anne Maiden's personal slap in the face to Derek Riggs because... You know, here was Iron Maiden saying, oh, hey, you remember how you spent so much time on Somewhere in Time? You know, we you could have just farted out some dog shit and we had to put it up on the SR album cover. So you suck, Derek Riggs. So, you know, <laughs> among the many oh, reasons man. I like that album, that's like, I think at the top of the list. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we've got our artwork pick. It is Time Traveler or Cyborg Eddie. Um, sorry, Raju. So the last and final point, uh, the final point of discussion between these four albums, overall album feel as such. Uh, what do you guys think about which one you would pick between the number of the beast, power slave, somewhere in time and seven son of a seventh son? Uh, that's a bit of a toughie. I mean, I, I'd probably go with the uh, number of the beast paradoxically enough. I think it, uh, you know, flows the best for me as far as an album as far as a single and made an album is concerned i think it's probably the shortest of the lot maybe seven sun is a little shorter uh but then on seven sun there are a couple of songs that have a few elements that i uh that annoy me more than the unnecessarily cheerful chorus of the prisoner uh it's certainly the album that i've i think gone back to the most frequently uh, number of the Beast. Uh, actually, the album that I've gone back to the most frequently is Peace of Mind, but we're not discussing that here. But yeah, I mean, overall, as a great set of songs start to finish, Number of the Beast for sure. 
Reju. It's either, and I know you can't say either, but it's either number of the beast or power stream. I mean, um, how do you decide between the two of them? Uh, because uh, I don't like somewhere in time. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious by now. Uh, <laughs> all of the bad habits that uh, made it develop in later years all stemmed from somewhere in time, in my opinion. And when it comes to Seven Sun, there are great moments and there are some not so great moments. But... Uh, when it comes to Number of the Beast and Power Slave, they are almost perfect albums. Okay, the weaker points of both albums are not really weak, in my opinion. Yeah. That's the best I can phrase it. Um, but uh, yeah, if I had to give the nod to one of the two albums again for sentimental value, I guess Power Slave because it gave my band its name. So, Animesh, maybe. Mm, interesting. I'm going to scatter the field on this one. It's not somewhere in time. Sorry uh, for any somewhere in time fans out there. Um, I'm giving the nod to Seven Son of a Seven Son because that's the album that I have revisited the most. That's the album that to me at the moment is the album. Like if I want to introduce Iron Maiden to anybody, I'll choose Seven Son of a Seven Son to do that. It's a weird pick. Not many would do, but... Then again, I think it's the one that has a lot of diversity. It manages to show different sides of the band really well. And it has the evil that men do. So, yeah, for me, Seven Son of a Seven Son is the one that I'm choosing. Peter? So for me, actually, like when we did it last time, I actually went back to listen to the episode we did with Nolan when it was Parsley versus Seven Son versus Seven Son. Yeah, and at that time, I think it, when you compare album to album, overall, I realized Seven Sun came up. And that's the thing with Maiden, right? When you compare like track to track in the way we're doing it. And now I was very curious to see how when we open it up to two more albums, what it would be like. And overall, for me, it became between Number of the Beast and Power Slave. As much and as objective and as much as I love uh, Power Slave, I want to be objective. But objectively, the album definitely will be for me number of the beast because like I do skip a couple of the tracks on Power Slave, right? And uh, I'll, I'll still like buy the merch. If, if they take out, if they release a cap or something, I may even buy a Power Slave cap just for that. But uh, probably maybe because it's easier to wear the merch of uh, Power Slave versus number of the beast, right? But uh, yeah, overall for me, number of the beast uh, is the album. Wow. Okay. Wow. Alrighty. Huh. So while everyone's talking, I'm tallying the figures. And this is a really, really, really close contest. So if you were to choose, if you were to go by, um, you know, um, the majority of the votes and try and find an understanding of which is the best album in that range, it's a bit weird because from Seven Son of a Seven Son, we've chosen three songs. From Power Slave, we've chosen three songs. From The Number of the Beast, we've just chosen two songs. And from Somewhere in Time, we have no songs. So our track list, if we were playing hack producer to compile a best of from these four albums, would have been Moonchild, Children of the Damned, Can I Play With Madness, The Evil That Men Do, the Number of the Beast, Back in the Village, Power Slave, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, with Cyborg or Time Traveler ready on the cover. But <laughs> still thinking of the flow of The Number of the Beast, because that is overall album flow winner as such. Right? Now, if you were to look at it in terms of points, and by points I mean how many, like, the number of yeses each track and each element has received, Coming in at number five at the last spot, and I don't think this is a surprise for anyone, is Somewhere in Time, which only got the most amount of points because three of us decided that the artwork is the best. So, <laughs> yeah. Any surprises there? The least favorite, no. at least between these four albums? None. Okay. Who do you have at number three? Any guesses? I'd say probably Seven Sun. Yeah, and I think it's all Riju's fault. <laughs> yeah. No. Power you slave. have Power Slave coming in at number three. And get this, there's only a difference of three points between the number threes, uh, between the top three. Power Slave comes in at uh, number three with 10 points. Who do you think is number two? 
I think number of the beast takes it. Peter, you're right. It is number of the beast with 12 points. And only by points, the winner of this versus is seventh son of a seventh son with 13 points. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Can you guys stomach that fact that seventh son of a seventh son is the better album between these four? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? I don't know. I mean, uh, like I said, there are certain aspects of Seventh Son of Seventh Son, which I'm not entirely crazy about. Uh, I think Number of the Beast and Power Slave are both stronger albums. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'd, I'd probably go with uh, Number of the Beast, Power Slave, Seventh Son, and finally uh, Somewhere in Time. Okay, Riju, what about you? Uh, number of the Beast, Power Slave, Seventh Son, Somewhere in Time, yeah. It would be interesting to actually pitch somewhere in time because we have learned that none of us really like the album all that much against a brave new world or something like oh, that. Oh, oh, oh. oh no, then no contest, dude. Then uh, somewhere in time will frankly wipe the floor with any of the post 2000 albums. But even Brave New World, I mean, Brave New World was. And a Brave New World is a really strong album. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, I mean, I. Uh, I think uh, somewhere in time is a little less uh, self-indulgent. And so okay. I know it flies in the face of what I said about uh, how I like self-indulgence, but there's self-indulgence and then there's the boring build up to the chorus and build up to the song thing, which kind of gets on my nerves. All right, Peter, are you okay with this result? Somewhere in time at number four with five points, Power Slave at number three with 10 points. The number of the beast at number two with 12 points and seven son of a seven son at number one with 13 points. How did that happen? Even though we hated the artwork. Because (laughs) because none of you voted for Hallowed Be Thy Name except me. Ah, that's why. I genuinely had, I genuinely was thinking that Hallowed Be Thy Name would get more votes, but it didn't. Damn. Damn. That's interesting. Someone said once we're done, this recording of this episode's live, let's send it to Nolan because I think he's the one who loves this album. No, that's the thing, right? Like if we if we bring on another person, I'm pretty sure the rankings or the points, etc., will change and we'll end up with a new number one. Because if you bring in a maiden fanatic, like if we have Nolan here or maybe Girish here, I, I do think the number of the beast would emerge as number one. True, true. Oh, they would probably want killers there, right? Like Bangalore, I don't think they have <laughs> the point of right? Like, <laughs> from what I've gathered. Yeah, but that's interesting too. I think what, Iron Maiden has eight songs? Killers has nine songs? Or Killers has eight songs? Songs, I think, right? Something like that. Well, that gives us a reason to do this versus once again with more Iron Maiden albums. <laughs> I don't know if you guys would be up for that. Listeners, do you agree with what just happened, with what you heard? Uh, Is Seven Son of a Seven Son the better album amongst these four? Tell us. We are all ears, as always. You can reach out to us at hauntsupport.com or on Twitter at hauntsupport. As always, I'm at Asmohani on Twitter. I'm at Trend Crusher. I am RDORE on Twitter. And Ravi is always at home. (laughs) (laughs) This was Horns Up. Horns Up, guys. Horns Up. Horns Up.